As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Welcome to this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, and I get the great pleasure of sitting across from Steve Schiffman, the president and CEO of Michaelman today. Um, Steve is on the Greater Cincinnati Regional Business Committee, United Way Board of Directors, and the Cincinnati Preschool Promise. Steve has been a dear friend, as well as his family, of our business and our family for many, many years, and very excited today to have a discussion around conscious capitalism and the purpose and innate focus of why your organization truly exists and how to lead in an innovative and sustainable way. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, let's see if we can solve this problem over the next 45 minutes. I look forward to yeah, that. I look forward to a, that. It's Steve, great to be here. Thanks. So share a little bit. Let's start into the focus of business, right? So we we many entrepreneurs go into business for the sake of building something great, creating profits, and selling a company. Um, then you have the entrepreneurs who seem to be some of the most successful that are doing it to change the world, whatever they're going into, they're doing to change the world. And I'd love to talk a little bit about your approach to a very large, successful, longtime business. Um, how have you all really focused on your purpose and why you exist? Yeah, that's, that's a, a really powerful question. And it seems like there's a simple answer, right? Well, you're in business to make a profit. And of course, we're in business to make a profit. But I'm going to start, as I do oftentimes in our leadership accelerator at Michaelman, when I'm talking to our emerging leaders and a lot of our global leaders. And I'm going to take the audacious step of trying to challenge or refute a 1976 Nobel laureate. Um, Milton Friedman famously said, he said a lot of things, a brilliant guy, but he, he famously said that the only corporate social responsibility a company has is to maximize profits. And he also said that there is one and only one responsibility of business to use its resources, engage in activities designed to increase its profits so long as it stays within the rules of the game. Candidly, I think that's all wrong. And, um, you know, he won the Nobel Prize. I didn't. But I, I believe that statements like that have caused many of the problems that we deal with in our economy today. Problems like excessive CEO pay, problem like corporate rating, problems like massive, massive cuts in, in, in employment, ways just to make additional profit, the, the, the need to always do more, 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 more. Um, so this notion of conscious capitalism, right? I, ma making a profit, look, that's inherent to business. We have to make a profit. But I think about it this way. We need to breathe oxygen, to live. We need to create red blood cells to live, but we don't live to breathe and we don't live to create red blood cells. Those are necessary. Making money, growing our business, increasing profits, return on assets, driving EBITDA, those are all really important and we need to do that in order to live and grow as a company. We like to say that we're building it for the fifth generation of ownership, most of whom aren't born yet. Without doing all that, we can't have a sustainable business. But we think about business through the lens of all of our stakeholders, right? Making money for our shareholders is incredibly important, but so is making sure we have a great environment for our associates and we have a way for our associates to build a career and feel, feel fulfilled and, and, and take care of their families. 
we're very active at Michaelman in our communities around the world. We have a presence in five or six countries around the world, and we do community activities and community engagement. All of those countries, whether it's India, China, Singapore, Luxembourg, Belgium, the United States, um, our suppliers are important to us. Obviously, our customers are important to us. Our communities broadly, not just doing the things we do in the nonprofit world, but also look paying taxes so that we can have a good police and fire force, mm-hmm. right? So we we try very hard to keep all of this in balance at Michaelman. Now, candidly, we've done quite well. We've grown our business and we have grown wealth and we've created great a great profitable business. But it, 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 we're not perfect at this and we stumble on a regular basis, but we always try to do it with the balanced lens of, of all of those stakeholders that we're looking at as we're, as we're trying to build this business. That's wonderful. Steve, has that always been the case for generations at Michaelman or is it something that you and your leadership team brought in? Or? Yeah. You know, look, I like to say that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, the, the, we're third generation. And um, I can tell you that when the business was founded almost seven years ago, they weren't thinking about a conscious capitalist business. They were building a business to make a living, right? And, and over the years, um, the business was very successful. It grew nicely without me and, and was, was very entrepreneurial. And, and they, they wouldn't have used the terms conscious capitalism, you know, going back a generation or so. But my predecessors in our business always cared deeply about our employees. We call them associates now, but, but employees then. They cared deeply about their customers. They weren't as community-minded as we were, but they probably didn't have the luxury of doing that, right? They were still in the business of, of, of creating a business and the business of starting to eke out a living and, and make a living. But I think as time has gone on, on, I've been able to take the values of our business, which are so important to us, which have always been present, I think, and spend more time elucidating them, articulating them, and helping to bring them to life within our organization, and then spreading them on a global basis. And we have the luxury now, because we're into our third generation, to take all this great work that was done for generations now and build upon it and and actually take it even deeper. So I'd say that the roots of conscious capitalism were there, but it was a different time. And and so we've just taken it in the the recent years and, and tried to broaden it, make it much more a part of really the constitution of our business, if you will. You shared a little bit about the global nature of your business. How do you pull that energy in with the the teams in different countries, different time zones? How do you share the energy and share what's yeah. going on across the communities? Well, so that's that's a great and important question. It's one that that challenges us on a daily basis. You know, we're a very very broad com- com- company globally, and we're not that deep. I mean, we're you know we're four hundred and fifty or so associates globally, about half in the United States, half outside of the United States, and our business is growing faster out of the U.S. than it is in the U.S., although still growing nicely here. So our challenge is, let me back up for a second, the, the, the purpose, vision, and values of our company are incredibly important to us, and we talk about them ad nauseum, and, and they're embedded in everything that we do. We're very clear about our purpose, and that's to innovate a sustainable future. Um, the, the vision of our company, what we're trying to be when we grow up is very clear, and the values of integrity, respect, success, collaboration, curiosity, and giving are really embedded deeply into the organization. And I'm getting, I'm getting to your question, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there somewhat obliquely. You know, I travel a lot, as you do, and visit lots of companies, and it's, it's not uncommon to walk into a company and see a marble plaque in the waiting room or in the boardroom with our values and our vision. And then if you wander the plant floor or wander the halls and talk to the associates there and you ask them about them, you get that deer in the headlights look because it's one of those tick-the-box exercises. And we vowed to not be that company. So we work very hard to build the values into how we hire, 
uh, those values are, are, are built into how we reward our associates. We try very hard to adhere close to our purpose when we're making important decisions about investments and about strategy, et cetera. We're not always good at it. We've made plenty of mistakes over the years. And, and oftentimes, if we take a deep breath and look back, we realize that when those mistakes occurred in hiring or in perhaps investing, there's been some deviation away from the purpose or the values of the company. So how do we embed those globally? We, you know, I, I have the luxury of being able to talk for a living. Uh, I've got a phenomenal team of people around me, really around the world. And so I spend the vast majority of my time doing things like this. I travel a lot to visit our people around the world. We do an awful lot of communication um, using both old and new media. So I write monthly letters to our employees that go home that sit on their kitchen tables because I want them to read them with their families, just talking about a lesson what's going on within the company. We do town halls. We do a lot of video town halls. We do webinars. I spend a lot of time on airplanes visiting our, our facilities around the world, as do my top lieutenants as well. And we also then bring a lot of people into Cincinnati on a regular basis for what we call our Leadership Accelerator, which is a way of creating a broad cohort of leaders around the Michaelman world who all do it the Michaelman way, if you will. We're trying to Michaelmanize what we mean by leadership. So it's very intentional. We still have a ton of work to do. Um, but it's to me, it's the thing that's the differentiator, right? When I when I talk to our groups regularly, I, I tell them that we have a phenomenal brand in the marketplace. We have great physical assets. We have really outstanding intellectual property. We have a very strong balance sheet. But the reality is, most of our competitors and other other businesses have their share of the same. What, what they don't have, though, is our people. What they don't have is our set of values. What they don't have is our clear purpose. And, and to us, that's the differentiator. And that's what's going to allow us to create this sustainable business for generations to come. But it's hard, hard work, as you well know. And it has to be super intentional. And, and then lastly, then I'll take a deep breath, is, is that we're trying to embed in our organization that this is the stuff that you do first as a leader. And what so often happens, particularly in small to mid-sized businesses or growing businesses, is that people are well-intentioned about this stuff. They think they read the right books, they go to the right seminars, listen to the right podcast, but real life gets in the way and they'll get to this stuff when they have time. We're trying to flip the script, if you will, and we want our leaders to start every day with this stuff and then get to the transactional things later. And if we spend our time really building this into the organization and building deep relationships and helping our people feel a sense of fulfillment, understand the purpose of the business, when it's time for the transactional stuff, making products, selling products, shipping products, it's a lot easier to do it that way when you've already got the purpose and the values built into the process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So flipping the script with people coming into an environment, maybe this is the first time they've been in such an environment and they've been um, really striving to find an environment like yours that puts purpose, values, and people first. What are some of the challenges or barriers of getting people to think about leadership and leading well first yeah. that you have to help people overcome? Well, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a guy who's in the recruiting business and so much of it comes down to the talent that you acquire. And we are learning, we're not all the way there yet, but we're learning to put the, the values first in how we, uh, how we find talent and how we select talent. You know, in the, in the old days, and I'm sure this still happens in lots and lots of businesses, look, you've got a need, you need somebody in sales or somebody in finance or somebody in marketing, you look for the skills, you hire them, and you hope to God that they have the right kind of values and they fit. We have found so often, as I'm sure you have, that when things don't work, it's almost never 
at least in our case, or at least it's rarely because they don't have the, the transactional skills to be good at their job. It's because there's some values fit issue. There's a cultural fit issue. So we've, again, using my term, flip the script, we spend a vast majority of our time up front really assessing new candidates against the organizational values. And so we've built what we call our talent acquisition process, or TAP. And it used to be that only the subject matter experts would interview somebody for sales or technology work or science company. But now what we do is we have teams of people who are trained to be interviewers on our values across the entire organization interview candidates. And it's nothing to do with their subject mastery. We have subject master, subject master experts, subject matter experts, sorry, still interview on subject mastery, but we have these teams of other people who are assessing potential candidates for fit. Don't bat a thousand, but we're a lot better today than we were before. So we believe that it starts with like, you know, our business, you can't make a good finished product without great raw materials. And so we, we try to find the right raw materials for people who have the right attitude, the right values fit with our organization. And oh, by the way, they need to have the right skills as well, but those are easier to find. And then we're getting better at Again, not perfect that. We're getting better at the whole onboarding process. We know over the years when we've lost good people early, it's because we haven't onboarded them well. And so we're trying to get much better at how do we integrate the new talent into our organization. And that's an ongoing process. Um, but then I'll finish by saying the job never ends. And, and been back to how I spend most of my time and how a lot of our leaders spend a lot of their time, it's that ongoing talking, communicating, teaching, coaching on what matters most, the values, and, and making sure that we give people time. You know, in, in the monthly letter that I just sent yesterday to our team talking about this very topic, I, I finished by, by sort of calling a foul on myself, and, and that is people regularly want to know how are we doing as a business, and the easy answer is to jump right to the financials, right? How are we doing in revenue? How's the EBITDA for the month? What's the return on assets look like? Those are easy answers. Important, but easy answers, but only, as I said earlier, a, a small part of the story. And so if that's how we always answer the question, I might be preaching the notion of, 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 of all of our stakeholders and talking conscious capitalism, but I'm sending the signal that all that matters is the, is the money. And so we're trying very hard to change how we answer the question, how are we doing? And so clearly how are we doing financially is incredibly important, but so is how are we doing in terms of developing associates? How are we doing in terms of our community impact? How are we doing in our leadership accelerator work, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we're trying to learn how to be more holistic or conscious, to use that term, in how we how we communicate with our associates, how we answer the question about how we're doing, and how we focus the work of our people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's setting the tone for corporate culture. That the corporate culture is a culmination of all of the daily interactions and behaviors and actions that are taken. That sets the tone. So if Conscious capitalism is a focus area, making sure that the behaviors align to that. And even when you're onboarding, you're reinforcing the fact that we're going to, we want you to continue to develop yourself and the world around you. You're as, you know, if you're a healthy leader here, we also want you to be a healthy leader at home. The way you leave a, you know, we've been in environments where you look at, you know, I wonder, and you ask the CEO, what do you think? your employees say about this organization when they go home or spend time with their neighbors or family on the weekends, right? And is that message positive? Are they a positive brand ambassador right. or are they a negative detractor? And uh, what do you want? How do you want to create meaningful work? And how do you want to challenge and grow your employees? And it sounds like you all are doing everything you can to put that in the forefront.
Well, I, I'd like to think we're doing everything that we can, but being realistic, I know we're missing things, but I know that it's incredibly important. You know, if, if we look at why people leave organizations, they leave because they're not engaged. And you've read the same statistics I have, that the vast majority of people working in, in America today aren't engaged in their work. And it doesn't take that much to engage people, but it's intentional work. And sometimes it seems to be contrary to the messages we're taught about how to run a business. Back to my comments about Milton Friedman, right? Using the word love in the workplace is something that people don't do. But, And I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about the sort of love of, of, of uh, wanting your associates to feel a sense of fulfillment. I, I, I believe in and I think sometimes my associates might get tired of hearing me talk about this, but but I think down deep they, they probably appreciate it. We as business leaders have more of an ability to impact the lives of our associates than virtually anybody else out there today. It certainly isn't the federal government that's going to make their lives better, right? You know, you've seen the statistics that the, the highest percentage of heart attacks in America take place around 10 o'clock on Monday mornings, apparently, because people hate their work. So we have more of an impact on their health than their family doctor might be. And if we have the right work environment and people feel a sense of fulfillment when they go home at night, then they're probably nicer to their partner or their spouse. They're probably better parents. They're probably volunteering more in the community. They likely aren't becoming alcoholics, right? It, it, you know, it's, it's that wonderful sort of knock-on effect, but so much of it happens we spend more time at work than we do with our families. And I always say that I spend more time with my chief financial officer than I do my wife, whom I love more than anybody on the planet. And so if I can't enjoy his company, then there's something wrong, right? And so how do we create the environment where people actually don't dread going to work on Mondays, that they actually go home at night feeling a sense of fulfillment because they've accomplished something towards a greater mission? It has so many phenomenal knock-on effects throughout the rest of their lives and through the rest of the world, that we can actually make a difference in the world, not just make more money. And, you know, I know that that's a big order. And I know that we miss on a regular basis, but as long as we hold that intention on a daily basis, and that's our aspiration, I believe that, speaking selfishly, our company, we will create a sustainable future for our organization. We'll last for generations to come. We'll be able to add value to the world around us, and we'll have people who want to stick around and be part of our organization for a long mm -hmm. period of time. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing it that way and that specific. I mean, at the end of the day, when you have um, unhealthy work environments, you're going to have unhealthy relationships in every aspect of your life, or you're going to turn healthy relationships into unhealthy ones because of your dissatisfaction in the workplace. And there's so much of an opportunity to, to both of us, to our listeners, to be the difference, right? To be an environment. I remember I've shared this in a couple of podcast episodes ago that the I was in a conversation with a leader who told me at a conference that my client had actually invited me to attend with them that this is the first environment I've ever felt safe. Wow. And I ever felt like I didn't have to look behind my back to see what was coming next. I could do my best work. And this individual was in his mid-50s and spent 35 years trying to find this environment. Um, and that's the, that's the type of work that both Centennial and the Talent Magnet Institute want to be a part of and strive every day to create healthier leadership teams, create healthier companies, healthier companies create healthier families, healthier families can create healthier community in the world around us. And making a significant impact in that is, is all about conscious capitalism. Well, we're, we're lucky, too, that we've got some phenomenal role models in our community and, and broader. You know, I've been lucky to create over the years a, a really deep friendship with John Pepper, who's the former 
chairman of both Procter & Gamble and Disney, and, and John is, has been one of my mentors. He's spoken to our leadership accelerator and a, a more successful slash kinder man you're never going to find. And I, I talk to people who worked for John or with John decades ago who still have unbelievably fond memories of working with him. Obviously, he was a driven, very successful leader, but such a caring guy who cared deeply about the community and still, I mean, we work on the preschool promise board together today. Mm-hmm. And, and so there are people like John and others in our community who showed even in large businesses that was possible. And, you know, you read a lot of uh, about companies like Whole Foods, now part of Amazon and Southwest Airlines and, and uh, companies like that practicing conscious capitalism, Starbucks, which is great, good for them. And it's important. But I still think that those lessons sometimes are missed when it comes to small and mid-sized companies. And we know that there are more people employed throughout America in the smaller mid-sized companies than there are in the larger companies. And so we're the ones that have an ability to actually change Create the world if we yeah. adopt these practices. And and that's the mission that I'm on, starting with our own company and Absolutely. see where we can take it from that's there. That's wonderful. Could, so you've shared a, a bit about the Leadership Accelerator. Can you talk about the type of content sure. and training that's a part of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's something that we had been wanting to do for a long period of time. And over the last couple of years, we got to the point where we got the critical mass to do it. And I've been lucky to partner with my good friend, Keith Lawrence. Keith is a uh, a former senior HR executive at Procter & Gamble. He now has his own consulting practice, has done some great work for us. And he's partnered with me to create this leadership accelerator within Michaelman. And what we're attempting to do, as I said earlier, is create kind of, if you will, the Michaelmanized way of leading so that we can have this really powerful distributed leadership model throughout our entire world. So we regularly bring in cohorts of about 35 people from around the world. Uh, A class will consist of people from really all the Michaelman um, offices or facilities around the world. They tend to be either our senior or emerging leaders. We bring them in for a four-day session. Um, There's a lot of pre-work that they do. There's pre-reading that they need to do, some assessments they need to do. And we have a a curriculum uh, that lasts about four days, which I'll talk about in a second. But they're also then part of a project team because we want them to have the experiential learning. What we're trying to create is this, as I said, this Michaelmanized sort of form of leadership. I, I, I jokingly say it's not the Stepford leaders. We don't want them all to act and behave the same way, but we want the same sort of fundamental building blocks of leadership, what we mean by leadership, sort of embedded into all these associates. We also want them to build relationships with one another from around the world because so much of what we do is done through these distributed global teams. And we're lucky that we live in a world today where we have all these wonderful telecommunications tools as well as uh, the modern miracle of jet air travel. But it's regularly that regularly people on our team are on are in our organization or on teams that are global in nature. So a lot of times they've known them virtually, but they haven't been able to spend a couple of days having meals and having beers together. And so by the time they leave at the end of the four days, there are these relationships and friendships that are built. So we teach everything from strategy, sort of the building blocks of strategy, to things like grit, how to how to how to sort of persevere, because we all are dealt with challenges. We talk a lot about our purpose, vision, values, and conscious capitalism. We talk a lot about community and engagement. And we actually take them all off site for a day of community work while they're in town so that they can actually do projects together in the community and get to know each other that way. We teach them how to how to present. Um, most people in the world think they're good presenters, but most people are horrible. And so we actually do uh, a fabulous, uh, very professional uh, how to be a presenter training course. 
an incredible teacher by the name of Julie Schiffman. My wife actually teaches that. You may, you may or may not know, but Julie, along with everything else she does, is a very talented platform speaker. And so mm -hmm. she teaches public speaking. So it's, it's a whole variety of things that we teach them, things that are useful they can put to work immediately. As I said, everything from strategy to communication skills to how to engage in the community to conscious capitalism, purpose, vision, values, all those things that are important. And there's a ton of role playing. Uh, there's a ton of sharing. It's a very personal session. Uh, they talk a lot about the challenges that they've had and what's gotten them to this point. And, and they, they create some learning buddies that they then carry on after the seminar, mm -hmm. after the session with, so that they kind of help one another to continue to get better. And then they're all working on, in parallel, over a three or four month period, a project that is incredibly important to our organization. So it's not make work, it's stuff that really is important to the organization. Mm -hmm. We create five project teams out of every class, and then they come back after about a three month period and report out to the leadership team and, and make recommendations on paths forward on those particular projects. Very well thought out program. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really terrific. As I said, Keith has been a wonderful partner in this process and it's incredibly professional. We we measure everything in our business and what's really heartening is that we've got a lot of, as we've built this organization, we've sort of doubled the size of the organization in the last five, six years in terms of our staffing and we've hired some amazingly talented people from around the world from huge organizations, successful organizations, and almost to a person they say, they come into this trepidatious because they've been through a hundred leadership seminars and they come out the back end saying, this was the best one I've ever gone to. Hmm. And, and I think it's really, the, it, it's it's all of it, right? It's, I wanna think it's the in-class stuff, it's the speakers like John Pepper that we bring in, it's the it's the uh, project work, it's the building the relationship. So it's it's the whole thing holistically that has yeah, turned this into self. a power process. Yeah. Do you focus on listening skills and conflict management skills and kind of the whole self side of yeah. physical health and we, things of that nature? We, yeah, we get into a lot of that stuff as well. Okay. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great program. It, we continue to tweak it. It's we, we do some other courses like how to get stuff done, right? So at the end of the day, we can talk about all this wonderful stuff, but all these guys as leaders still have to find ways to get things done. And so yeah. what are the what are the skills they can pick up on how to plan and manage their day mm -hmm. better? How do they help others to be more effective in the work that they do? Mm -hmm. So it's, some of it's personal, some of it's more operational, but really it's trying to, as I said earlier, imbue the organization with this this sense of what does it mean to be leader in our in our world, and, and going back to what I said earlier, we really work with them on flipping the script and on how do they take this learning and then help the people for whom they have responsibility in the organization to get better and better and mm -hmm. better, and how does this mm -hmm. become the first thing they do, not the thing they do when they have time later. Well, Steve, I've had the opportunity to serve and serve with you and your wife. Uh, Julie and I were on a committee many years ago when we took the Cincinnati Ballet to Manhattan, which was an incredible undertaking. Still unbelievable, right? I was at a session about a, a month ago where Julie Calvert uh, from Source Cincinnati, who's now leading the, the Convention Bureau, was, was presenting the Regional Business Committee. And uh, she, she was talking about so much work that's been done. And she, she points to that, Mike, as the catalyst, the catalyst that, for everything yeah. that's being done today yeah. uh, that's putting Cincinnati on the map. So that great work that you all did, I'm very proud of Julie and you and everybody else, that turned out, starting with the ballet and ended up being all the arts organizations in Cincinnati for a week, that began this, this journey that we're on to now make Cincinnati this hip and well-known place. Right. It's very cool. Right. Yeah, so Julie, I know you'll listen to this. Thank you for your leadership. But when I also, when I look at you know, Julie's the executive director of Adopt-A-Class. You're so involved in helping form the Cincinnati Preschool Promise and everything that the business community has done to bring that online. We're actually going to have an episode um, that the listeners will be able to tune in to learn about the Cincinnati Preschool Promise, early childhood education, workforce uh, with Shiloh Turner and Florence Malone. Fantastic. Can you share... 
why that particular space of kids and children and mentoring sure. and education? Well, first, let me talk about community broadly, then I'll zero in on the children's piece. Um, I, I have been very, very fortunate that I've had such amazing community opportunities since I got here. Uh, you know, I was lucky my parents were always very involved in the community, so I saw that as a young kid. But I came to Cincinnati 32 years ago knowing nobody. Mm-hmm. And really my way into this community was through community engagement. And uh, sometimes I joke, it's a little bit like Michael Corleone. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in, mm-hmm. right? So you, you, once you're in, you're in, right? You know that well. But I found such amazing people in Cincinnati through my community engagement. And I got to know some of our community leaders. They treated me as an equal. If you're prepared to do the work and you're in, then you're one of them, right? And, mm-hmm. and over the years, Julie and I, I can tell you with, with, without hesitation, our very best friends are the friends that we've made through the community work that we've done. And I, you mm-hmm. might say the same thing, right? And why is that? It's because we share a similar sense of value, right. a similar sense of purpose. These are all really successful people, however you want to choose to define success. I mean, they're successful professionally, they've got great families, and they're totally engaged in making our community a better place. So um, it's a little selfish on my part because it's been fun, but it's also, I believe, this is why we're, one of the reasons why we're so focused on doing community work at Michaelman is I think it's one of the most unheralded leadership development tools that we have, right? You might go to work every day as a sales guy or as a finance person. You go sit on your community board and you're doing everything from HR stuff like hiring a new executive director to planning a party to having to raise funds to having to pay the bills to doing facilities work, right? Strategy work. So it's an amazing way to learn skills that perhaps you're not learning in your organization and build the competence because you're sitting next to in our community, a guy like Tom Williams or Bob Castellini, and they want to know your opinion, right? So it's, it's, there's nothing bad about it. It's all good stuff. Right. Why kids? Um, you know, I'm very lucky to be born in America when I was born in America. I'm very lucky to be born, look, let's face it, a white guy with privilege, right? And based upon the zip code that I live in, um, I had a, a good educational set of opportunities. My children the same. Based on my affluence, we could live wherever we wanted to live. I could send them to private schools I did, or we could move into a neighborhood that had a great school system. But as we know, that unfortunately is not the case for so many of our citizens in the United States broadly, but in Cincinnati specifically. And we know how compelling the data is. If kids show up to kindergarten not ready, they have a very good chance of not reading on grade level at grade three. If they're not reading on grade level at grade three, they have a much better chance of not making it through high school. They have a much better chance if they don't make it through high school of ending up incarcerated or on the dole for the rest of their life, right? And and if you're a person of color, that just multiplies those odds, um, mm-hmm. you know, many many times. And so it just isn't fair, right? right? It just isn't fair that my kids and your kids, because of who we are, have this amazing head start, and so many kids don't. And and so. Um, that's on the personal level. But then if you look at it from a community slash business level, you know, we, we need employees, we need customers, we need active citizens who are contributing members of our society. And if they're not prepared for school at, at kindergarten, there's a very high likelihood as they matriculate through the system, they're not going to be contributing members of society or not going to be great employees or great, or great customers. And so it's just one of those things that's so incredibly important, first of all, as a human being, but then as a capitalist and this guy who's 
care, cares deeply about the city, there, there's almost nothing we can do. I think it's more important right now than, than, than to try to make sure that kids are ready for school. You know, we have to make sure that in the schools that they're going into are better and better as time goes on, but we can start with these little ones and make sure they have the kind of opportunity that our kids have. Yeah, the discussion we had with Shiloh and Florence, we, did, we talked about most communities are working on, they realize the gap that's been created for years and years, decades in early childhood education and the investment and focus that needs to take place there, both from a, you know, human level and making sure that all kids have the same opportunities, um, but also from a workforce and economic development standpoint right. that, you know, I, we, we always share with organizations that go volunteer in a school you're going to be, one, your employees are going to feel, they're going to be greatly gratified and impacted by their experience of volunteering in a local school. Um, you're going to touch the lives of children and help them see, make connections and friendships and see the excitement of business and work and what you're doing as an organization. And they're going to go tell their parents or grandparents about it. That's right. Right. So you're reaching multiple generations from a workforce standpoint and you're doing good and you're empowering. You, you mentioned the, the adopt a class that Julie runs and Michaelman, as you might imagine, adopts a few classes. And we actually did it before Julie became the executive director and our people who do it love it. Mm -hmm. But what's so powerful is, you know, the adopted class goes into, they're all Title I schools. So you've got the majority of kids who are on free and reduced lunch. And so these are kids who come from not privilege, right? And we have at Michaelman a lot of female scientists, a lot of women scientists. And so I mean, I've heard little girls in the classes say, I didn't know girls could be scientists. Maybe I'll be a scientist, right? They come out and they get a chance to sit in the CEO's chair and they walk through our laboratories and see what it is that we do. And so now at least look, we're not going to change their lives necessarily in one visit or in one visit a month, but we start to implant in them the idea that Absolutely. there is opportunity out for there. For them. Yeah, for yeah. them. And it's it's a very powerful, and you know what, it's powerful for our associates because so many people, you, look, you and I work a lot in the community, so we see this firsthand on almost a daily basis, but so many of the people who work with us and for us don't. And so to them, poverty, for example, is this sort of foreign, this, this thing that they read about, right? it's a concept. But they go into the schools now and they, they see it differently. Well, you know what? They might vote differently right. in November. They might give differently to our United Way campaign. They might volunteer differently. And so that's the power of these programs is hopefully we're touching the lives of these kids, but we're also impacting the lives of the volunteers to go off and do more and to volunteer more and to try and make the world a bit better. Hmm. Excellent. Steve, thank you for the leadership that you and Julie provide to our community and the world at large. Thank you to Michaelman for all you're doing globally and to your employees for leading well and being in an environment that's focusing on the impact of humans and people, uh, not just profit from a financial standpoint. And thank you for the conversation today. I hope it was valuable to all of our listeners, and uh, we look forward to um, having a next conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, uh, Reframing Success in Leadership. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I love the podcast and uh, keep up the great work, my friend. Do you want to make sure you're getting the most out of your current and your prospective talent? Go to talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com slash talent and find out the 10 questions you should be asking yourself to stay ahead of the game. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Medine of New Fidelity Studios and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Medine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. 
We are recorded in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We're supported by our listeners from all around the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is part of the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial. You can reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Mike Sipple Jr. Find us in your favorite podcast app, or you can visit us online at talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a colleague. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.